If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to get them out and turn with me to the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can certainly follow along with our passage for this morning found, as usual, in your insert. We return this morning to the book of Acts for the last time this year. And uh, the reason for that, as we take a break uh, from Acts once again, the reason for that is because I, as I sat down this week and looked at what was ahead of us both in our calendar, our church calendar, as well as in the book of Acts, Advent is right around the corner. And uh, I want to take time every year uh, to focus on Advent, to focus on the coming of the Lord Jesus in the flesh. And so we'll be doing that. And before we do that, we'll spend a couple weeks uh, thinking about uh, gratitude and thankfulness and some other things as well. Uh, Just as our culture goes through these seasons, we want to capitalize, I want to capitalize on those seasons that we go through. But also, and maybe the biggest reason, is that where we come to today as we've been marching through the book of Acts, where we come to today is a good stopping place. Uh, It's a great stopping place because we come to the end of Paul's second missionary journey. And so rather than picking up the third one only to stop in a couple weeks midstream, we're going to stop at the end of the second missionary journey. Acts 18 is where we find ourselves this morning. You'll remember those of you who have been here that we have been shadowing uh, the Apostle Paul as he has been making his way on what is known as the second missionary journey. He's making his way back through Asia Minor in many of these churches that he planted on the first missionary journey. He has Silas with him. Eventually he takes Luke along and Timothy as well. And eventually he leaves Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he crosses the Aegean Sea and enters modern-day Eastern Europe. And that's where we have found the Apostle Paul recently. Uh, Last week, in fact the last two weeks, Paul has been in Athens, uh, the great city in Greece. And uh, today we find him 50 miles to the west in what is most, the most uh, influential city at that time in Macedonia, in that region. The most influential city, both economically as well as politically, and it's a city that we all have heard of, the city of Corinth. And so that's where we find uh, the Apostle Paul headed this morning. And so listen as I read God's holy word. Acts chapter 18, we're going to read the first 21 verses. After this, Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. 
I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Here we go again. Saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of all these things. And they drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrae, he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As many of you know, uh, several years ago, uh, 2009 to be exact, before I was here at Ascension, I led a small team on a short-term missions trip uh, to Uganda. It was a two-week medical and evangelism trip. The doctors and nurses that accompanied us gave medical care, and my team was in charge of evangelism, going door-to-door and speaking the name of Christ and calling people to the gospel. It was in a rural and extremely impoverished part of Uganda, Africa. And it was quite simply, as I may have spoken to some of you about this on one occasion or another, it was quite simply the most demanding and challenging trip I have ever been on in my life. One of the challenges, which was not inconsequential, was the fact that For the whole time that I was in Africa, except for one five-minute conversation, I was totally out of contact with my family. Totally out of contact with Anna and the kids. And yet they gave me a gift when I went to Africa. I went with a stack of letters. I even have the letters. 
a stack of letters which were in many ways sustaining grace for me on this trip. Each letter is on a different page. Each letter is dated. Let me give you a taste. July 3rd, 2009. Dear one, by now, Lord willing, you have made your long journey to Uganda. You're safely there. I'll be claiming this verse while you are away and trust you will be as well. Cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Psalm 55, 22. Love, Anna. July 8th, 2009. I'm praying for you. I love you, Daddy. Love, Abby, with a beautiful picture of a flower. July 10th, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Dear Dad, I hope you're having a good time. I'm praying for you. Love, Drew. July 13th, 2009, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah 40, Dad, I know you're probably getting tired. You're ready to get back. But hopefully this verse will remind you that God will give you strength. Love, Ellie. These were gifts. These were gifts of sustaining grace for me amidst one of the most challenging trips that I had ever been on. They were promises that I could cling to in the midst of weariness, both spiritual and physical weariness. There's no doubt that we all get weary serving the Lord. Church of Jesus, I don't have to know you specifically to know that you get weary. Even Paul, even the Apostle Paul, got weary serving the Lord. And Paul, like we, needed promises. He needed evidences. He needed reminders of God's grace to him. And what I want you to see this morning is that it's exactly what the Apostle Paul got in Corinth. That's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 18. There's a lot of detail that we could get lost in these first 21 verses in. But I want to focus really on two verses. On the heart of the passage. Verses 9 and 10. Look again with me at it. And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. There are two encouragements that I want us to meditate on this morning as the church. We're going to spend our time, the vast majority of our time, on the first one. And like last week, this is unashamedly a message for those who know and love Christ. It's a message for those of you who minister. It's not a message for the minister. It's a message for the ministers. You who are equipped for the work of ministry. You who are the saints who have the opportunity in places I don't to speak truth and to speak the words of Christ and the words of life to those around you. But I will also say this, even as I speak directly to the church of Jesus, that this is also a message, as was last week's message, for those who need ministry. For those who maybe don't know this Lord Jesus that we've been singing of, that this passage proclaims. 
you need to hear this as well. You hear it in a totally different context, in a totally different vein, but it is for you as well. Two encouragements. And the first one is this. When you're paralyzed by fear and discouragement, remember that Jesus is by your side. When you're paralyzed by fear and discouragement, remember that Jesus is by your side. I recognize that my my opening illustration with the letters, it, it breaks down very quickly because my two weeks on the mission field in rural East Africa don't come close to what the Apostle Paul has experienced and the state that he finds himself in as he walks into the city of Corinth. But that's where we need to begin. Just taking a step back and and thinking, in order to get a real understanding of this passage, we need to think about the, the state of the Apostle Paul. And we can say up until now, we've really been focusing on what's been happening outside of Paul. You know, the circumstances that have all been hitting him from from wherever. Now we get a glimpse of kind of how he's internalizing those things. How he himself is processing those things. And frankly, the toll that those things have had on the Apostle Paul. See, it's a reminder for us, just like it was several weeks ago, that Paul was not some superman. Paul was not some super apostle. Gifted, yes. But an ordinary man called to do an extraordinary task by the Lord. It was a task that had begun, those of you who have been here over the last several weeks, you know, it's begun with these two whirlwind trips around the ancient world, around the Roman Empire, hundreds of miles on foot, on horseback, in ships, living out of a satchel, dependent upon the kindness of others for food and for lodging, far from home. Believe me, the adventure, the adventurous nature of this wore off pretty quickly with Paul. And yet here he is, proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Physically exhausted, no doubt. But not just that. Paul, everywhere he went, he faced resistance. It's not like he walked into places and people were eager to hear what he had to say always. In Lystra, the resistance got hostile, remember, and they stoned him. They threw rocks at him and they left him for dead. In Philippi, they flogged him and they threw him in prison unjustly. And most recently, he was chased out of Thessalonica and out of Berea. Finds himself in Athens and his strategic eloquence in Athens only produces a few converts. Meager results. Add to all this the physical exhaustion of traveling hundreds of miles, the resistance he faced at every turn, the physical assault that he faced on every turn. Add add to all this the fact that when he goes to Corinth, he's all alone. He's alone. Silas and Timothy, they're back in Berea. 
We're not exactly sure where Luke is at this point. He is alone as he walks into Corinth, a city that many have described as the Vanity Fair, if you're familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, or to put it in modern vernacular, Corinth was the Vegas of the ancient world. In Athens, it was all about the intellect. It was all about the mind. It was about those curious ideas. In Corinth, it was all about the flesh. One commentator summed up Corinth, I think, pretty nicely with three C's. Corinth was cosmopolitan. It was a tremendously diverse city with people from all over the world dwelling there. Everything was represented in Corinth. It was not only cosmopolitan, it was commercial. Corinth was the port in the ancient world. Goods from all over were traded in that city. And lastly, it was corrupt. It was cosmopolitan, it was commercial, and it was corrupt. Corinth boasted the temple of Aphrodite was her Greek name. Venus was her Roman name. The goddess of love, of beauty. And accompanying that worship in that temple, 10,000 plus temple prostitutes roamed the city of Corinth constantly, selling themselves and their wares. Corinth was a mess. And of course, we know a bit of Corinth's problems because we hear about them as Paul writes two letters later to the church. This fledgling church that's seeking to grow and take root in this Vegas of the ancient world. But 1 Corinthians, those letters that he wrote, they also give us a glimpse of how he walked into the city. Physically tired, beat up, worn out, alone. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 3 says this, And when I came to you, this is Paul, And when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, but I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear and in much trembling. See, we've we've heard those words before, but I think it was so easy for us to, to roll over them. But when you really see them in the context of where they belong, In Acts 18, on the heels of all the stuff that Paul has gone through, as he walks into this city, we recognize that Paul is weary. He is fearful. He is in need of encouragement. He is in need of refreshment. And as he stands there in Corinth, in that state, he stands in a long line of servants of the Lord who have needed refreshment, who have needed encouragement. Jeremiah cried out, I am weary. For I hear many whispering, denounce him, let us denounce him. Joshua, the one who is told to be strong and and courageous, eventually he breaks down and he falls on his face before the Lord. I've been there many times. In fact, in a small way, I was there this week. As I sat down and, and I opened up God's Word to where we're supposed to head next in Acts chapter 18, and, and I read Acts chapter 18, I said, wow, it really doesn't matter what you think of this sermon because I think that this sermon was for me. I think that this week was for me. 
But I know that you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. A family member, a dear friend that you have loved for years. Maybe you share the Gospel with them so many times and yet they just won't come. Or maybe you've never shared the Gospel because you're too afraid, you're too fearful. And the Lord says to you this morning, as He said to the Apostle Paul, He says to the church, don't be afraid, for I am by your side. I want you to see what the Lord does here with the Apostle Paul. He gives Paul this amazing promise in verses 9 and 10. These reminders, these letters to encourage and sustain him. And they have to do basically with three things. His speech, his safety, and his success. Those are essentially the three things that the Lord is addressing in verses 9 and 10. And the thing that undergirds all of that for the Apostle Paul is the presence of the Lord. The real presence of the Lord. The mighty God of the universe who spoke this world into being is not removed from His people. But He has come near to us. Not just in the person of Jesus, the One who came in the flesh, but by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is in this place now who resides in the hearts of all those who call upon Him and is always with them, helping them for their good and for His glory as a father cares for His children. Of course, God's people have found comfort in the presence of the Lord for generations. Psalm 23, that psalm that we all know and love so well, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. But here in Acts chapter 18, the Lord Jesus is saying something very specific to His servant. We can talk about the general presence of the Lord and how that's a comfort for God's people. But the Lord Jesus here with the Apostle Paul and today with the church is talking about those who are called to speak and yet are paralyzed by fear or by discouragement. And he says, don't stop speaking because I am by your side. Jesus promised his disciples in Matthew 28 as he gave them this commission to go and make disciples of all nations. He said, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the fact that the Lord is with us when we speak His name, it's a comfort because it's always easier to speak when someone is with you. But more than that, even more than that, God's Word gives us a glimpse of what His presence does for those who speak. Mark chapter 13, verses 9-10, through 10, He warned His disciples of what they would face and He says, be on your guard. They will deliver you over to councils happening right now with Paul. You will be beaten in synagogues. Already happened with Paul. You will stand before governors and kings for My sake to bear witness to them. But when they bring you to trial, they deliver you over. Do not be anxious about what you're going to say because in that hour, you will say whatever is given to you. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Just think about that. 
It's not just that Jesus, by His Spirit, is with you, rooting you on, but He's giving you the words to speak. It's clear that we're in a different time and place than the Apostle Paul. But the promise that Jesus gives to Paul, I think, still applies to us today. Whether it be overt evangelism, whether it be informal contact with unbelieving neighbors, whether it be a word of truth as we seek to give guidance to our children, we need to remember, we need to draw strength from the fact that Jesus is with His people. Jesus is by our side. Now there is an aspect of this promise, of these verses that's given to the Apostle Paul that I don't think does necessarily apply to us. Because he personally assures Paul that unlike other places he has been, he will be safe. Did you see that? You will be safe. And that must have just ignited Paul. I mean, Paul, Lord, I can't take one more flogging. I can't take one more stoning. And here the Lord meets him in his weakness and says, You're going to be safe. In Corinth, no harm will come to you. Can we take that promise and and say that, yeah, once you become a Christian, once you follow Jesus, every time you'll speak for His name that you will be safe? No. We prayed this morning for those who are not safe those who speak the name of Christ to great peril. And yet, even in, even in the midst of those circumstances, the promise of His presence remains. So whether it's safety or whether it's harm that come our way, we know, as Luke recorded in his Gospel, Luke 12.7, Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. Your Father loves you, and not a hair can fall from your head, whether it's pulling out, whether it's pulled out, or whether it falls out naturally. When you're fearful and discouraged, Jesus is by your side. Great promises given to the Apostle Paul. Great promises given to us as we think about our proclamation in the world as we think about our hesitancies in speaking the name of Christ. But before we move on to that second truth, I want us to think not only about the promises that have been made, but the promises that have been fulfilled. Because Luke doesn't just give us 9 and 10. He doesn't just give us those two verses. He gives us the verses surrounding and the context surrounding. And he says, look what God has done. I mean, first of all, before God even gives him these words of sustaining grace, He gives him Priscilla and Aquila. He's not alone anymore. Yeah, he walks into that city alone and fearful and trembling and feeling vulnerable and he immediately comes to Christians who have been kicked out of Rome, Jewish Christians, who are just like him. They're in the same trade he's in. 
And they immediately envelop him. And they immediately surround him. And he's encouraged. And then what happens? Then what happens in verse 5? Silas and Timothy return. And they return with two things. It doesn't tell us here, but if we bring in some of the other letters of Paul to piece this picture together, we learn that he gets two things. He gets a gift from the churches, and he gets a report of good news. First Thessalonians 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason in all our distress and affliction we have been comforted through your faith. And then in Philippians 4, and you Philippians yourselves know that the beginning of the Gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. You see, even before we get to the promise, the Lord is ministering to His servants. He fills the gap of His loneliness. Maybe Paul began to go back to work as a tent maker because he needed some funds. And yet then those funds come from the churches in Macedonia and he is freed up once again to preach and proclaim the Gospel. And then God gives him the words of verses 9 and 10 and then the words, uh, the verses after verses 12 through 17 record for us God raising up one who simply stops the assault on Paul. Now as I was reading that, I, I said, here we go again. And Paul must have had a tinge of, I thought you just told me that I was going to be safe, and here I'm getting dragged before the tribunal again. But it's almost like Luke highlights it. Before Paul could even speak, this guy, this Roman official says, stop it. I'm throwing this thing out. It's over. Can you imagine Paul just saying, wow, thank you for not only the promise, but the promise fulfilled before my very eyes. How that emboldened Paul to continue to proclaim the Gospel. Church of Jesus Christ, as you do ministry, you don't do it alone. God knows your needs. He knows your fears. He knows your discouragements. He is with you. He will minister to you. That's the first thing I want us to focus on. And the second, real briefly, not near as long as the first, is this. When you want to give up, remember that God will save His people. When you want to give up, as in give up on someone, remember that God will save His people. You know, the one thing we didn't talk about in those promises of verses 9 and 10 is the success. We talked about the safety. We talked about the speech. But we didn't talk about the success that God Gives And it's summed up in one phrase. I have many in this city who are my people. And far from making Paul's evangelism or proclamation pointless, that one statement actually guarantees its success. 
God will have His people. God will use Paul to bring them to Himself. His grace is irresistible. His people have been chosen. Deep, wonderful doctrines that we could just dive into for weeks. But as Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes, I will never cast out. The free offer of the Gospel goes out from our lips and out through our lives. But it's only the sovereign grace of the Lord that brings success, and He has His people. There's a great little book written by J.I. Packer. Many of you have probably read it. It's called Sovereignty. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And in that book he writes, the sovereignty of God in grace is the one thing that prevents evangelism from being pointless, for it creates the possibility, indeed the certainty, that evangelism will be fruitful. Apart from it, there is not even the possibility of evangelism being fruitful. If it were not for the sovereign grace of God, evangelism would be the most futile and useless enterprise that the world has ever seen. God has His people in this city. And we're called to speak to them. What wonderful promises the Lord gives us in this journey to sustain us by His grace, to remind us of His presence. One of the things we didn't talk about was Paul's response How does Paul respond to this? Obviously, he's emboldened to do his work, to do his calling. But Luke also tells us about this vow that he takes. This renewed sense of discipline. It was an appropriate thing for a Jewish man, though not to gain God's favor, but in response to what God has done, to take this vow of devotion to the Lord. This vow of purity. And that's what Paul does. He says, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for meeting me in my weakness. He stays longer in Corinth than he does any other place. 18 months. 18 months he stays there because God gave him this promise. Because God sustained him. As we think about our response, it's not a vow to not cut your hair Certainly not appropriate for us. But Romans 12.1 is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Say, thank you for your sustaining grace. Give me the grace to speak, to march on for your glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for its encouragement for its grace for our journey, a journey that we can so easily become discouraged and weak on. Father, may Your saints, Your people, walk from this place emboldened and built up as the Apostle Paul was emboldened and built up by the reminder of these things. Father, make it so for our good and for Your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.